This week on Locosaurus Rex, we have a little something different for you guys. I'm Simon Schwartz, but more importantly, our guest this week is someone near and dear to our Locosaur family, none other than Mr. Darren Lin. Darren is a member of Team Locosaur. He does great work for us here, and he knows all about great local businesses. Darren grew up working in his parents' Chinese food restaurant in Bushwick. And so he's going to give us a behind-the-scenes look into what it's like at your local neighborhood Chinese restaurant. This was a super, super fun podcast to record. Major props to Darren for going into the vault, telling some stories, and giving us a perspective that I think a lot of people uh, in our audience don't really think about. So here's Locosaur's very own Darren Lin on growing up behind the counter of a Chinese restaurant in New York City. Here we go. Darren, man, how does it feel to be on this side of the podcast this time? It feels uh, really cool. New experiences. Uh, new experiences. Yeah, you finally agreed to do this podcast with me. Um, this has been one that I've wanted to do now uh, for a while. Um, I think that sort of the experience that you had growing up in a, uh, in a Chinese restaurant is something that I and I think a lot of the listeners just can't at all relate to. Um, but for starters, just go ahead, introduce yourself, and maybe just say a little bit about like your backstory. Hey, uh, so I'm Darren. I uh, currently work at Locosaur. I'm still a student. Uh, this year I'm a junior in college, uh, and uh, I handle all of the uh, back-end tools, server stuff for uh, Locosaur. So I didn't really have much experience with the restaurant initially. Uh, my parents didn't really have much time to take care of me, so instead I lived with my grandparents and spent around from like I guess I guess like around age three until twelve. And uh, at the end of middle school, I moved in with my parents, and uh, I think by the end of eighth grade, I started working at the restaurant. What was the restaurant called? It was all called Number One Restaurant. <laughs> number One Restaurant. Number One Restaurant. Because it was the best. Yes. Which is funny because most of the customers actually made jokes about that. They're like, <laughs> number one. <laughs> they just come in and do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it's, it's located at a, in Bushwick on uh, Knickerbocker Avenue. Nice. And uh, we, uh, we recently sold it off to uh, another, like another person. But uh, I guess I'd spent around like the majority of my uh, high school life in that restaurant and uh starting from eighth grade until i guess freshman year of college i would go to school come back work a couple hours do my homework you know like on the weekends i might have some days i can go out but most of the time i would stay there uh i used to actually visit my parents in the summer during summer vacation during my uh, elementary school years and my middle school years and uh at that time like i wasn't expected to work because i was like what like seven eight right sure i wasn't able to take any orders correctly uh, <laughs> um and uh I, I made a bunch of friends there so the neighborhood used to be uh really hispanic puerto rican-ish and i guess like being shown that neighborhood and like those, those type of people i had a different perspective of uh of life right so it's when i went back to my grandparents i was in a really asian neighborhood all my friends are Asian in school. And yeah. then during the summer, I would move in with my parents for about like a month or two. And I would have like Hispanic friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, it's, it's a very uh, different experience. 
between Asians and Hispanics and how like we handle ourselves. So you got to the restaurant, uh, the start of eighth grade, start of ninth grade. Uh, yeah, it's like around the end of eighth grade. What was the first sort of task or responsibility that you had in the restaurant? Uh, so my mom worked most of the things in the front. So like being the cashier, packaging orders, taking orders, uh, answering the phone, uh, working the fryer. We had a rotisserie machine that she would also handle, fried rice, like all of that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. she had a lot of uh, things to do mm-hmm. and she wanted to slowly push more things onto me. So I think my first ever task was during the su- during summer vacation of eighth grade, there was a customer who came in and he was... I guess around like four or five years older than me. So he was, he was pretty young and she was like, take his order. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, I've never done this before. She's like, just do it. Just take the order. And I went up there freaked out. Cause I was afraid of taking the order wrong. And I, I was stuttering. I didn't know what, to, like, I didn't write anything down. And then when I was done, I went back there and I told her the order and she's like, all right, this is your job now. <laughs> and she just laid it on me. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait a second. Uh, and I think, as time went on, uh, I also started taking orders on the phone because yeah. uh, because it was a really Hispanic neighborhood. I took Spanish sixth and seventh grade, and it was enough Spanish to uh, basically communicate what kind of orders they want. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't know a single like a certain word, I would ask my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually learned Spanish in America, so when she came here, she didn't have a single word of English or Spanish, mm-hmm. and she worked for my aunt in her restaurant for about four or five years. And when we purchased our own place, uh, she would ask constantly for the customers to like, she would like get a couple of Hispanics who knew how to speak English moderately well and they knew Spanish, right? So she would ask them how to say certain words and just memorize them and like try to just learn it on the job. Because if you didn't speak Spanish then, like no one would come to your restaurant and order food. In that part of Brooklyn. Yeah, because they they wouldn't waste their time trying to explain to you what they wanted, especially if you didn't have a, like a standing in that neighborhood yet. No one really knew who you were. You didn't really have a reputation. So like for the first or second years, it was kind of hard. She would just ask people how to say certain words. And then if she like sometimes she would call my aunt because my aunt knew uh, more Spanish than her at that time for like translations and how to ask what they want, right? Because I took Spanish, sixth and seventh grade, she pushed taking orders on the phone to me. And in the end, I ended up doing, I took orders. I took orders on the phone. I did cashier work. Occasionally, I would cook fried rice. Uh, we had like a little grill in the back for burgers. Yeah. So I worked that sometimes. Nice. Uh, and the fryer sometimes. So, yeah. Do you ever remember any of the orders standing out? Uh, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of Puerto Ricans love to have a ton of sauce in their fries which is which i find hilarious interesting so anytime a puerto rican comes in like we knew that we would spend about 30 seconds just pouring ketchup and hot sauce on their fries uh there were people who had like really spe- like so someone ordered like mixed vegetables or chicken once and they didn't want a lot of the vegetables that came with it so in the end it was like two types of, it was like celery and like mushrooms or something and then they added cashew nuts on top of it but we have a dish called uh, compound chicken mm-hmm. or a cashew chicken, right? Which is fried chicken with celery and carrots and cashew nuts on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like there wondering, like, why didn't you just order that? <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of like people just nitpicking what kind of orders they want, but it's fine. I feel like there's a big difference between um, 
sort of the uh, Chinese American favorites and the sort of like actual authentic Chinese food that right, you would right. run into in, in, you know, maybe Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, what like what's your take on on that sort of difference in the cuisine itself? Uh, it depends on which uh, region of China you're talking about. Most of the Americanized Chinese food, I would say, is uh, very similar to Cantonese food, actually. Yeah. Or like Hong Kong style food. Yeah. So lo mein is a huge thing, which is like a lot of people call it lo mein in New York, but in other places of the country, they call it chow mein, which is the way you're supposed to call it, I guess, right? Interesting. Because it's like it's stirred fried noodles. Uh, that's, that's, like a, that's a very Cantonese dish. And Gerald uh, Tao's chicken. I'm not sure where it came from. Like it wasn't made by a guy <laughs> called General Tao's. But there is a very similar dish to uh General Tao's chicken, but it's not made with chicken, it's made with pork in uh Fujianese cuisine, mm-hmm. which is my parents are from. It's fried pork and it's a very similar sauce. And it's uh usually uh fried pork and fried potatoes, and then it's cooked in that sauce. And it's very similar to the General Tao's chicken. So there's like some influences between that. Yeah. Uh so let's let's for a minute talk about the the Fujinese thing, mm-hmm. um, because this was something that that as you've told me sort of more and more about this community of, mm-hmm. of Chinese restaurant uh, workers and owners and managers. It's like I mean, what would you say? Eighty percent of them, ninety percent of them are from Fujian. Yeah, I would say about eighty to ninety percent of restaurant owners are Fujinese. Uh, what's a very small amount that aren't. What's the backstory there? Uh, so I think in the early 70s to 80s and 90s, there's a large influx of uh, Fujianese immigrants who came to America. And uh, the food industry was one of the easiest ones to get into at that time. Mm-hmm. You didn't really require much um, capital, right? So you would, and uh, so there were a lot of uh, agencies opening up in Chinatown. So, like, if you just came to America and you couldn't find a job, usually. In China, you knew how to cook the typical dishes. Right. So uh, one of your first jobs was either to go into the agency and look for a position in a Chinese restaurant, or you would have a family friend who would recommend you to another family friend who owned a restaurant. And you would slowly work your way up, right? So you would learn how to cook the dishes, whatever, how to prep the food. And uh, as you like slowly worked more and more, you would end up opening up your own restaurant. And it's that's why most of the food, is the same in most Chinese restaurants. Now there's like Thai food in some restaurants, yeah. but like it's always the same, like chicken and broccoli, right? It's yeah. like it's all the same because uh, we like we learn from each other. Sure. Yeah. What is it about the the Fujianese that you think um, sort of led them to be particularly apt to to open restaurants? Uh, I think most Fujianese people are known for like being uh, very business savvy. Uh, we try to find opportunities like everywhere. Yeah. Uh, whether it be like a laundromat or like a 99 cent store, right? It's uh, people make fun of us <laughs> for that kind of stuff, but we try to find like easy opportunities to open up a business because Interesting. those are like, because there's like, you, for like the hard jobs, you need an education. And back in uh, Fujo or Fujian, not a lot of people uh, really went for education. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were more like, gotta get, like, gotta get money as, f- as soon as possible. So people did go to school, but not like high levels of like college or whatever, right? Sure. But that wasn't the focus. The focus was to make money and just to make it. And so restaurants were easy. Uh, 99, cent, 99 cent stores are pretty easy. I mean, laundromats are one of the easiest because yeah. you just have to operate the machines, right? So that's why there's a lot of uh, Fujianese people who open up these places. And the community itself seems pretty tight. It seems like more or less people know uh, know each other, know you know who's doing what. Uh, yeah, kind of. So 
uh, so for Fujinese people, we have these during weddings, right? Uh, when you think of a wedding as like an American, it's like a church setting. Yeah. You know, like the family sit on two sides uh, and, uh, you know, a priest comes in and finishes the marriage, right? So for Fujinese people, they have a host, which kind of acts like the priest. Uh-huh. And uh, instead of like doing it all quietly, it's like, you may now kiss the bride, whatever. Then it's more like a party. Nice. So we go to these banquet halls and you would, you would sit with people you kind of knew. And everyone's always like a cousin of another person. Sure. So like you sort of knew them, but not as closely, right? So it's like the first cousin, the second cousin of someone else. But usually you know people in that wedding and usually like you spread, right? You spread uh, your your uh, knowledge of others, right? So it's like you go to a wedding and you, you meet someone. And it's like, oh, wait, you know, you know this person? Oh, I know him too, right? When you think back to the sort of the early years of you working um, in... Uh, number one restaurant overwhelming or at that point did it already sort of feel like home initially it felt really overwhelming because i didn't really know the customers that well sure uh it took me around two or three years to get the hang of it right so like if someone came in i i honestly like it when i know the person who's coming in and i know their order so i don't have to spend like five minutes asking them over and over again this is what you mean this is what you mean right so yeah, after two or three years. That's pretty locusor. Yeah, that's pretty locusor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, initially, in like the first or two, like the first year and the second year, my mom would be asked for around like, I guess like out of 10 customers, it would be like four or five customers I asked for because she already knew the orders. Yeah. And I would just stand there and be like, well, can't you just tell me order again, right? <laughs> and you're like, no, you won't get it right. You don't make the same answer. And I'm like, I'm her son. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, they would they would walk into the store, walk up to you at the counter, and then ask for your mom. Yes, yes. Some of the That's some wild. of the customers would actually just be like, I want your mom to take my order, and I'm just standing here like she's busy right now, like she's not here, and yeah. I, I, only I can take your order right now, right? And they won't they won't trust me with it, which is funny, right? Yeah. So it's, That's wild. Yeah. Um, and what about the the people who worked in the restaurant with you? Were were these people who were sort of longtime employees? What was the turnover like? Um, so we had a family who worked for us initially when we first opened because uh, it was hard to find people that we trusted. Sure, because we were a small business, uh, we didn't really have much security behind us. So it's like if they messed us up, right? If we couldn't make a certain amount of money a day, it would really affect us the next day, yeah. right? Uh, as time went by, like, we had more and more security, so it's it's fine. Like, if, like, someone comes in and they mess up entirely the first day, it's like, okay, it's okay. Like, we'll find another person the next day. So initially, it was family friends who worked for us, and then we slowly transitioned to calling the agencies in, uh, in Chinatown, and uh, we would just call them, tell them the positions we need, uh, most of the time we would ask for people who were experienced mm-hmm. and we, uh, so initially we didn't really have a place for them to stay. Uh, most restaurants nowadays either do uh, pickups. So it's like, uh, if they live somewhere in Brooklyn, like in t- at 10 AM in the morning, the boss usually drives to Brooklyn, picks them up and brings them to the store at night. They bring them back. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, like before in the, in the, in the past, uh, they used to just take subways and it was dangerous at night, right? So most restaurants are located in kind of sketchy areas. Uh, so taking a subway at night, especially if like you just, if you just got your wage that day, yeah, that's pretty dangerous, right? If you get robbed on the way. And so 
we uh, we actually had a place for some of the workers to stay uh, when we opened up our uh, we moved locations I think five years after our first location and we had a place for them to stay. So like I saw them daily, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's changed a lot. Uh, back then, like people who worked were like super serious about working. They uh <laughs> they they like they would be scared out of their like they would be scared so much. To, when in like 11 p.m. hits because they didn't want to be fired right away versus now it's more like they see like restaurant jobs as being easy right it's like you come in you earn like a hundred dollars a day and then you leave right and it's like you can do whatever you want with those hundred dollars uh it's very hard to find a person who's willing to work long term now people work more short term interesting yeah so uh, and uh wechat uh which is like Basically, Facebook for Asians at this point. <laughs> they have a they have a specific channel for finding restaurant jobs. So a lot of the agencies in Chinatown are closing down because all their business is moving over to WeChat, and WeChat's free, right? Yeah. Uh, versus the agencies, you would have to give them a commission. So it's like if they if they helped you find a job and you went there the day after, they would call you, or like you would give them money in advance, right? It's yeah. like twenty five dollars, we'll find you a job or whatever. And now we have WeChat, which is free. But the thing is that, like, more of the traditional uh, Chinese restaurants don't really like that because um, you don't know who's behind that phone. Yeah. Versus when they go to the agency, like, the agency can vouch for them. They know who's there. And uh, if, like, a random person shows up, you have no idea, like, what their what their skill set is. You know, you can't really – you don't really know where they've worked. It's it's kind of kind of risky. Yeah. Uh, did you ever do deliveries around New York? I have done deliveries, yeah. What, what was that like? Uh, so initially, my parents only allowed me to do deliveries close by to the business. So uh, because they didn't let me own a bike, they were afraid of traffic hitting me. <laughs> wait, wait. So you did deliveries on foot? Yes, yes. I did it on foot, which it was like three, four streets. It wasn't that bad. So okay. It was, yeah. It was close by. Uh, most of them were like literally around the corner. Sure. And I would just walk. Uh, and then I guess by like junior, they were like, all right, you can own a bike now. I started doing uh, long distance deliveries. Uh, and it was, it was fun. It's pretty fun. I would say. What was your routine? Like, did you, you listen to music? Did you have like favorite streets to go down? Uh, honestly, I just took the street that was the fastest. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I just walked in silence to be honest, because when I, when I wanted a delivery, it, mean, it meant that I didn't have to work the front. Yeah. So I, t- I got to take like a little breather on yeah. the street. And like when I came back, I was ready to go back to the front because it gets really hectic in the front. Sure. Uh, I only helped make deliveries when it got really busy or delivery guy was being too slow and there were like orders backed up. So I just took the ones that were closest and just went right. Um, what I hate the most is when I call customers and I have multiple orders on me. So it's like five bags. Right. And they're on like the fourth floor. <laughs> and it's stairs and they're like no you have to come up <laughs> and i'm just like please just come down and take your order please. i'm just like begging them right and then <laughs> and then um in the end like some of them would be nice they would come down and get the order and then other times i would have to walk up with like all five bags and i walk back down with one less bag still a lot of bags so yeah yeah did they and and what were the tips like tips are actually pretty generous i mean i would say they were generous uh it depends on the person too uh, for sure on, like to be honest as the neighborhood got more gentrified people got more and more generous yeah yeah so i think the average tip 
for like a small order was like three four dollars and i guess like for a larger order right it's like 40 50 dollars i guess like six seven dollars sometimes so it's nice it's okay yeah so is there anything that you wish the sort of general public knew about what goes on like behind the counter at these places or is there any like like large misconceptions um what I really disliked were people calling, like, after five minutes asking if their order was ready. <laughs> and uh, I think this, this applies to, like, every uh, food place, right? It's, like, people don't really have a connection to how the food is made. Uh, so for Chinese restaurants, not a lot of it is, like, fast food. We prep ahead of time. So there's, like, the vegetables are chopped up. Chicken's uh, prepped ready already. But cooking still takes time. So, yeah. like, we're still actually making the food, right? If you go to, like, Panda Express nowadays... Uh, most of the food is in like buffet trays and you ask them for like the chicken and then they scoop it into a bowl versus if you go to a Chinese restaurant, that doesn't really happen. Uh, right. You order it and then you actually have to wait for them to cook it. Uh, so that's like a misconception, right? A lot of people think Chinese food restaurants are fast food restaurants, but they're not really fast food. What did you learn? What did I learn? Yeah. Uh, I learned, like, stress management skills, I guess, because <laughs> it did get stressful. Yeah, that's important. Uh, and uh, how to handle time correctly. In the summer, there was this rush hour near around 7 or 8 p.m., and I knew it was coming on Fridays. Like, 6.30, it would be quiet. We would have, like, three four orders. And then by the time 7 hits, I don't know why, <laughs> what happens there, but we would get, like, five or six phone calls in a row and i would just be on the phone constantly right i wouldn't be able to put it down because we had a system where like if a second person calls the phone has like a little beep and i had to switch calls so i had to handle that um also acting like i'm happy <laughs> when i'm not <laughs> um, uh, it's uh when there's like when you know because you do you get you do you like you do get ticked off by some people right like they get annoying after the fifth sixth time they ask you the same thing and you just have to you know force your smile through and be like yeah sure yeah yeah we'll, we'll do it <laughs> yeah yeah um let's talk about the tech for a minute um this is something that that you and i um both in the context of of locusaur and mm. and just sort of in general um have talked a lot about um specifically i, I want to hear what your sort of insider thoughts are um, one on Yelp and two on the the delivery platforms, so like Grubhub, Seamless, um, because we've we've had some interesting convos about that. Okay, um, uh, from experience, I would say most of the like you wouldn't leave a good review when your food is good uh, mm -hmm. unless it's like amazing, right? Uh, but you would leave a review if your food was terrible. So. I would say that most of the reviews on Yelp are kind of biased in a way because there isn't a, enough people voting it as good versus people who are voting it as bad, right? So that kind of skews the score. Um, and as for the uh, delivery platforms, my parents never actually used any of the delivery platforms. Uh, we had a lot of people who were regulars at our, our place, and we were open before the uh, advent of these uh delivery platforms so a lot of people who came to our restaurant previously are still coming right so they don't really use these platforms they have our phone number they call and uh 
we do get a couple people asking us if we use Grubhub or Seamless, mm-hmm. and we're like, no, just take a menu, like just call us, right? Yeah, and we're like, we'll we'll, we'll, get, we'll send out your order. You know, it's the same process. And can you can you just explain for the audience um, what um, on your end the difference there is? Initially, like restaurants always take orders by the phone, right? Yeah, every restaurant has a phone number. Uh, but if they start adding more and more technologies. Uh, so they have to start handling more and more ways of taking orders. So sure. you would need first a person who takes orders on the phone, and then they would either they would have like a fax machine that sends in orders by Seamless or Grubhub, and it would just it gets really hectic, right? So you have like you have papers that you write down for the orders, and then you have a big sheet of white paper next to it with text, and it becomes an issue when there are people at the restaurant who don't speak English, mm-hmm. and they have to decipher what the paper says. Uh, most of the orders in uh, Chinese restaurants are called out, right? So when you go into a Chinese restaurant and you hear, like, yelling in the background, <laughs> it's because the person is calling out the orders in the back and they're not arguing at all. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's not the case, right? So... Um, I feel like that's a common misconception. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Especially when people come in and they ask me, like, what's going on back then? I'm like, just, just making an order, man. <laughs> uh, and so it gets it gets really uh, complicated, and most of the companies ask for a pretty good, like pretty big commission uh, when it comes to orders, right? It's like yeah, twenty percent initially, but then as you gain more customers, they start asking for thirty, forty, like oh wow, yeah, which is pretty ridiculous at a certain point. And if you drop it off, you lose those customers, right? Like those customers that you gained from that system. Once you drop it off, they're not gonna call you because they're too used to ordering from Seamless already, right? So. Once you're in, you're in. You can't really drop out of it. Uh, I think the major ones right now are Grubhub, Seamless, Eat24, I think. Is that one of them? That's Yelps. That is Yelps. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure if there are any restaurants that do, like, Uber Eats at all. But, like, I think Uber Eats is less. I think it's more West Coast. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know for sure. But, yeah, I mean, this is something that we've talked about in the context of of Locusaur, kind of how the the tech that the customer expects is actually affecting the bottom line of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, because on some level, there is an expectation that the, the business is going to be using this technology. Um, and it's something that happens on the delivery platforms. It's also something that happens on the review sites, yes. right? So the Yelps of the world, uh, the four squares. Um, what's your experience been uh, with those? Uh, there's always that one customer who doesn't get what they want. And they leave like a one-star review. Sure. And uh, they don't really leave a message at all either. Like if you go look on the Google reviews, sometimes there really isn't uh, an explanation why they got the review. You also can't report reviews that people leave that have nothing to do with mm-hmm. like your, your service at all, right? So those affect it. Uh, my experiences with reviews aren't that bad because we had a pretty good score on Google, I think. Uh, and like it didn't really affect us much, like. I would tell my parents, oh, look, we have a 4.8. And they're like, okay. They didn't really care much about it. <laughs> they didn't really place a lot of yeah, emphasis. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I don't think a lot of customers really cared either. Like Most of our uh, regulars were like Hispanics who don't really care about looking up on Google what your score is, right? It's like we knew them for how many, like five, six years. They always order the same thing. You yeah. know, it's like we know them, right? So they don't really care about that score. I think it's more for new and upcoming businesses that care more about those scores and especially like if you're you, if you're just starting out and you your neighborhood like you don't really have a spot in the neighborhood no one really knows who you are 
And if a person walks down the street and sees your name, obviously the first thing they think is either go on Yelp or Google to see uh, how your services are. And uh, I think that just really shuts down a lot of good businesses because you might not look the best from the outside. But like from experience, most people know that like the small shops or the small shacks in the middle of nowhere usually have the best food. It's more the more traditional and authentic food comes from. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I look at a Yelp score, um, you know, clearly there's there's a certain locus or bias in like not taking those Yelp scores Mm -hmm. seriously. Um, But I feel like also there is some level of... I don't want to say authenticity, but when you see a business that has maybe a lower Yelp score, like it's no longer, I think, appropriate to say, oh, well, that's indicative of, of a poor quality mm-hmm. because, you know, the reviews are so subjective that um, it's really unfair to sort of take that as a sign one way or the right, other. Right. Especially when it's like the, the stars don't correlate to specific categories. Mm-hmm. Like a three-star can mean they have three-star service, but five-star food, but you can't tell, right? You can't say they have five-star food and three-star service or like three-star food and five-star service. When people look at a score, they look at like the top score. It's like it's either four stars or three stars. They don't delve into it more. They don't like read more, right? They look at the top and they don't really care about the details. So yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really give the businesses a chance Yeah. in the long run, I guess. Yeah. Um. Cool. I'm trying to think, we covered a lot. Um, so, I guess the the final thing that that I wanted to talk to you about was the sort of landscape of the Chinese restaurants in New York specifically. Like, where geographically speaking, would you say the sort of most um, authentic, you know, restaurants are? Let's say outside of Chinatown. Because I, I do feel like at this point, Chinatown um, is still the sort of preeminent spot. Right, right. Uh, Flushing is yeah. a great place, right? Most people know Flushing. Uh, there is 8th Avenue in uh, Brooklyn. That's where, is, you, that's where you guys were, right? Uh, no, no, no. We were in uh, Bushwick, so that's closer to Queens. Okay. 8th uh, Avenue is closer to Coney Island, right? It's like in the southern part of Brooklyn. Uh, and 8th Avenue is known as the Chinatown of Brooklyn. And uh, between, I guess, 50th Street to 60th Street, there is a really large community of uh, Fujianese people there. And and can- there used to be m- more Cantonese than Fujianese, but in recent years, more Fujianese people have been moving there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of traditional Fujianese cuisine there. Now, not so much because, like, they're closing down and it's, like, the newer... It's, like, the, the, the more... The stores that appeal more to the younger generation are thriving. Yeah. But there are still, like, certain spots that Fujianese people constantly go to. Um, there is a really famous bakery there called a Dragon Bay Bakery. Nice. And uh, there, like uh, back then, it was like your go-to spot for a breakfast, right? For like an Asian person, you go there. A bun is like a dollar. Milk tea is like a dollar. You spend two dollars for breakfast, and you're full for like a good what, like f- four hours. That's awesome. Um, so they have a pretty good standing there. Uh, there is a lot of. Uh, lunch spots for Fujianese people there. Uh, really a predominant dish for Fujianese people is uh, noodles with peanut butter sauce. And it's like and it's like wonton soup, right? And they also make these fish balls with pork in them. And that's like a really, really uh, famous dish for Fujianese people. I have like a one... I have a go-to spot for there. Uh, it's... Uh, 
They don't have a, they don't actually they actually don't have a page on Google, which I find hilarious. That's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you really know. Um, I can't I'm gonna butcher their name because I have no idea how to say this in Fujinese. But it's Wan Jong Wang. Uh and uh they make this uh they make this like noodle beef soup. And I like every time I visit Eighth Avenue, I have to go there and get a quart. So does my dad. Like we we both go there. It's like a dollar to add like four fish balls. Nice. <laughs> so we just go there. Sometimes we get their dumplings. They also sell those fish. They make those fish balls like fresh, right? So if you go in, you see them making them. And they sell their own like companies in the fridge. So like if you want to pick up a bag, you go there, grab one, and you pay for it, right? So it's all it's all authentic and homemade. Sounds like a locust or field trip coming up. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Darren. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you giving us the inside look. No problem. No problem. Again, huge props to Darren Lynn. Darren, you killed it, bud. Thanks for sharing. As always, if you like what you listen to, please rate and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And next time you're at your favorite Chinese restaurant, show them some love. Tip them a little something extra. They work hard for you. That'll do it for us this week. I'm Simon Schwartz. Thanks for listening.